Fox Sports trending now. With Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson out for the season with a broken hip, Pete Carroll said today that Marshawn Lynch is flying into Seattle to discuss the possibility of coming out of retirement to rejoin the Seahawks. Adam Schefter reports that the Carolina Panthers interviewed former Green Bay Packers head coach Mike McCarthy for their head coaching job on Sunday. The Baltimore Ravens are holding out Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and Earl Thomas from Sunday's regular season finale against the Pittsburgh Steelers, with the Ravens having already clinched the top seed in the AFC. The Steelers, their quarterback Mason Rudolph, expected to miss the game as well with a left shoulder injury. NBA Lakers list LeBron James and Anthony Davis as questionable to play Christmas Day against the Clippers. James because of a thoracic muscle strain. Anthony Davis because of a sore right knee. I'm Isaac Lohenkron. The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Monday to you, one and all, 410 PM, 410. 4.01 4.01 p.m., your start time here on December 23rd, a Christmas Eve Eve. Christmas so, Adam. Chris, stop it. We're not doing that. It's Christmas Adam. Adam came before Eve. Put your damn hand down. <laughs> uh, Eric Franson, and Jay Salison, intern Adam. Adam knows what I'm talking Adam about. Adam Lucarini back, in the, uh, back as the intern, hanging out with us today. We'll, we'll think about letting him haul the airways. We'll think about it. Chances aren't looking too good, though. <laughs> uh, hey, we got a lot to get into in a very extremely shortened show because Jazz Heat tonight, uh, pregame it's not starts. not extremely shortened. Yeah, it is. For how much we got to talk Extremely shortened would be for like how much we got to talk minutes. about. For how much we got to talk about and that we only have an hour and 10 minutes to do it is extremely short. Oh, AJ, for over a decade, I only had, I didn't even have a full hour oh, dude, look, to get everything in. Look, your show wasn't what it is now. Your show has really progressed and taken off to an, another extreme level, okay, because of me. And because I have risen it to heights that you never dreamed of. And now you stand at this peak of the mountain. The peak of the mountain? Yes. You, uh, yeah. You do see the the, the hmm. dark days, okay? You I see are, the dark days. Yeah. So what your show? You see the dark days coming. Yes. So uh, you have the Utah. I mean, you are the Utah State football of two thousand or ninety seven to two thousand nine. Okay, those were the dark days. <laughs> and then I came in. I'm Gary Anderson, and I come in and I resurrect the show hmm. and bring it back to life and go out and underperform in the bowl game. Uh yeah yeah. Wow, that's that's actually a in great segue. In the big games in. that matter the most, you underperform. <laughs> Eric Franz and LJ Salveson, a very happy holiday season to you one and all. Hope you're being safe wherever and however you are joining us here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. You can also stream us on 1069thefan.com. Also, don't forget, one more time, you can text us now into our show at 435-339-0321, 435 Two one. You can text us. Your name doesn't show up. Uh, just your phone number, so it's it's anonymous. We don't know who it is uh, unless you put your name in there, which you're you're always welcome to if you wish. Uh, but four three five three three nine 
888-900-0321. And we're going to want to hear your responses. We're going to want to hear your thoughts. Negative, positive, bold or not, we want to hear your guys' thoughts, our listeners' thoughts. As we talk, Utah State football versus Kent State. As we talk, Utah State basketball, two big road victories. South Florida and Florida, respectively, across the country and getting two big wins. We're, we're going to talk Utah Jazz basketball. We want to hear it all from you at 435-339-0321. Message generates do apply as your contract does term with the hey, phone service. I just want to, one thing too, you're mentioning the Jazz. You mentioned that we you can listen to us streaming online. want to make sure people realize that we contractually are not allowed or not able to stream the Jazz games. I think it's against NBA it, policy, right? It's an right? NBA thing. Yeah. I don't know how all the back how it all works, but it's something with the NBA and the Utah Jazz and rights fees that the Jazz didn't want to pay, or I don't know, the NBA has control of it. I'm not sure how it all works, but bottom line is we have the game over the air, but we are not allowed to have it online. So so you'll hear the game tonight on 1390 AM, 106.9 FM, but you won't be able to hear it on 1069thefan.com. Again, our phone number to text in, and you're going to want to text in because we want to hear your thoughts at 435-339-0321. Just type in that number, throw in your message, and we'll see it here, and we'll read it on air, and we'll talk about it. We will not ignore your messages because we know how important the three following topics are are of Aggie football, Aggie basketball, and Utah jazz basketball. With the cherry on top. Yeah. Absolutely. She said toppings. So it was a big week, right? I mean, you had two basketball games. In neutral site venues, one on an NBA court, one in uh, in Miami. Um, it was a, a big game for football. It was a bowl game in Texas. So it was a big week for Utah State Athletics. And basketball did great. Uh, two really close games, doing enough to pull out the victories despite players getting fouled out, despite a key player getting injured early in the game. Um, and then football wasn't the same. wasn't the same story for them that they were able to write. Your final score from the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl at Toyota Stadium in uh, Frisco, Texas. Shocker. Kent State 51, Utah State 41. At one point, uh, when Utah State led this game, Kent State scored 25 points in the fourth quarter. 25 points in the fourth quarter. Crum was absolutely remarkable for the uh, for Kent State Golden Flash. He he, and you know, Coach Anderson. He was as advertised. Coach Anderson said he was a problem, and he was. Dustin Crum, rushing twenty three carries, one hundred and fifty nine yards, one touchdown, throwing twenty one of twenty six for two hundred and eighty nine yards, two touchdowns. Four three five three three nine zero three two one. Get your thoughts in right now. Text us uh, at four three five three three nine zero three two one and chat with this game or chat with us about this game and your thoughts. What are your concerns? What are your issues going into the off season? What did you think of the game? What did you see was the problem? We'll read those uh, text messages uh, on air with your no name, just your uh, the last uh, four digits of your phone yeah. number. Uh, Eric, let's start here. So look, Aggies go out there, they score on the opening drive, and you think, hey, we've got that back. The offensive mojo, my gosh, it's back. And it, it was there for the whole entire game. But defensively, they could not, and it's been a problem all year, they could not tackle. Utah State offensively scored a touchdown in every single quarter. Utah State offensively looked really good. 
Jordan Love looked as sharp as we've seen oh, him all geez. year. He was phenomenal. And the one interception that he did have was not on him. No. But Warren got popped, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, Gerald Bright had a great game. 21 rushes for 94 yards and a touchdown. Those guys looked great. But the problem was the defense. Kent State opened up in the first quarter. Aggies had a hard time figuring out how to handle this mobile quarterback. They score 17 points on the Aggies in the first. And then I thought the defense started to make some adjustments, and they looked pretty good. They were giving things up in the middle of the field, but they were keeping them out of the end zone. They only allowed two field goals in the second quarter. They only allowed one field goal in the third. Utah State was gaining momentum. They had the lead. And it looked like going into the fourth quarter, this was all going to be the Aggies, and eventually they would pull away the way their defense was making their adjustments, and uh, the offense was starting to really get clicking. But, my goodness, 25 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, let's go through those fourth quarter possessions for Kent State. You ready? Started with 13 minutes and 57 seconds, ended in 1331. It was a touchdown in two plays, 57 yards. Their next possession with 12.45 remaining in the game ended with 9.36, a touchdown in eight plays, 64, uh, 64 yards, three minutes and nine seconds. Their next possession was with 8.46 left in the game. They got that via a fumble, and uh, that was Gerald Bright's fumble. That was a field goal that was eight plays, 24 yards in 3.50, and uh, they had the, uh, let's see, on the USU 13, uh, 2.57, uh, they had a touchdown off of that. Four plays, 13 yards in just a minute one, and then had the final possession, which ended in a kneel down to call it the, call the night. So the drives in the fourth quarter, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Is that right? For them for the fourth quarter? Yeah. That... Three touchdowns and a field goal. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there's a third, sorry, I have the third touchdown there. Because um, the last one was the botched squib kick, onside kick. Oh, two, four, eight text in defense sucked on both sides. You're not actually wrong. That's that's pretty well put. That's probably the best way to summarize it. Oh, two, four, eight defense sucked on both sides. But more so, Fair. I felt like Utah State because how many times did they have Crum wrapped up in the backfield? How many times did they have Crum wrapped up for a three yard game? How many times did they have uh, Matthews wrapped up for a five yard game? And every time they'd break it to extend the drive for a first down, another six seven yards to carry. Okay, so this has been a frequent topic of discussion for the last couple of weeks of the regular season and again for the bowl game. How is it that Utah State is doing such a poor job of tackling? It's Tackling is pretty fundamental. Mm-hmm. Coaches talk about it. These guys have been learning football and playing football for a long time. They know how to tackle. It's not like the other team has some secret drill that they're doing that they understand the fundamentals of tackling <laughs> better than Utah State is. I think the big problem has been that Utah State players, more often than not, are out of position. And so when they're trying to to go for the tackle, they're doing it just with their hands or they're reaching, they're grabbing, they're not able to get their whole arms around them properly because they're late getting there or they're just out of position. Their momentum has taken them away from where they need to be and they're trying to recover and come back. There were a lot of times that that pocket collapsed and that defensive front over-pursued Crum and it was easy for him to just slide forward, just make a few shifts here and there and all of a sudden he's got 10 yards. 
because the pocket around him just allowed them to push back and they over-pursued a lot. And they just seemed out of position in a lot of different ways, the, the linebackers and the defensive front. And Something- when you do that... It, you're not in a position to make a good, solid tackle. And I think that's what we saw. Something I thought really worked in the third quarter, because he talked about in uh, in the third how they, I mean, really for the majority of that third quarter, they shut them down. In fact, when I look at the, the drives in the third, you, you ready for this, Eric? Field goal, fumble, punt. They had three drives in the third quarter. Field goal, fumble, and a punt. I think what really helped is they had Tipinale as a spy, almost playing a middle linebacker spot, but his job was to contain Crum that whole entire time. For whatever reason, I feel like they went away from that in the fourth quarter, and then things just got out of hand. It was like an avalanche. I don't know why they went away from it. I, I, I don't understand why you would run away, or not run away, excuse me, but go away from that idea and go back to this, I don't know if it was man coverage or what, but given Crum, also, who had all sorts of time to throw, and then being able to pick apart the pocket, see a gap, and, and scramble for 14, 15 yards. Yeah. Uh, what was the scramble he had for like 30-something yards? Do you remember that long scramble? I think it was like 35, 40 yards. I can't remember what it was. Um, but, it, I mean, it was. I think it was third and seven or third and eight. Well, they had the third and seven on the first drive, and they went, what, 77 yards on a deep pass play, uh, I think it was the Dixon that he who beat DJ Williams on a straight fly route and just couldn't stop him. But there was a play, I can't remember what it was, it was third and long, but Crum went for like 30 some 37 yards for a first down. And he broke two tackles doing it in the process. Defense was an issue all night long. But do you know what was a bigger issue for me? Was special teams. I don't think special teams was that great. Yes, Dominant Eberly went two for two on field goals. Yeah, but I thought kickoffs, but I, I thought punts weren't great either. Punting was bad. Well, there was the one that uh, Bartolik mishandled the snap, went right through his hands, went, went through back. his hands. Still he didn't got really rid of it. Seemed but... to really jump up a lot to grab it, but whatever. Uh, it was amazing that he was still able to get something off. But yeah, I mean, usually Prada Prada's been really good. He's been very solid with that, so that was a surprise. Um, but it, the 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 failed kickoff. In the fourth quarter, that uh, they were able to bring all the way back to the, like the what the thirteen, <laughs> uh, I thought that it appeared that uh, Everly was trying to just blast somebody on the front line, kick it at him really hard, and that they'd have a hard time recovering it. And Utah State could be there to get it as it bounces off of him. He just missed the guy, and so it rolls past him into the second level, and Kent State just recovers it solidly and. Run down the sideline and short field and just add to their lead. Now that one took kind of an awkward bounce, but even if you call fair catch, you run 20 yards the opposite way. You run 100 yards the opposite way. If you're going to fall, call fair catch, get out of the way. Especially oh, that, if you're going to talk about the bounce. one against that Nathan. Yeah, sorry. Messed up. Yes, that was, that was another problem. I mean, usually that's not a problem for him, but it just it wasn't USU's night the way those things were going. Uh, and and the other thing, a, a part of it for me is, I mean, so the the kickoff where they, I guess it's a squib slash onside slash what do you want to call it, that went straight to who, I can't remember who it was, but I mean, returned it to the 13-yard line of Utah State. Pretty much put the game away, to be honest with you. Yeah, it did. That, that, that pretty much said goodnight to the Aggies. Uh, and so it's just some weird calling. We're 
I mean, we're execution, bad execution, I guess is the word to say. Well, it's a three-point game, and I guess you can all second-guess what, you know, 2020, right? Hindsight, we're all armchair quarterbacks. But there's a little more than three minutes to go. You have all three timeouts, and Kent State is up by three. Should they have kicked it deep and just said, defense, get a stop, get us the ball back, let us get some work done? Or did they have to try the onside kick because the defense was not getting any stops? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like they it's... needed to try the onside kick because the defense was not showing... They, were, they weren't showing me that they were had the ability to make any Great, more stops Great, but then they the return it quarter. to the 13-yard line and you're stuck in no man's land now. Well, yes. Um, then, well, then it, it, yes, you're, you're toast at that it's point. It's just crazy that Utah State scores 41 points and loses. <laughs> True. And, and by the way, Jordan Lowe was absolutely phenomenal in his showcase before he, is, uh, before he gets ready for the NFL. 30 of 39. He did have the one interception, which doesn't fall on his arms. 317 yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked four times. He also had a rush, or excuse me, a throw of 26 yards. That was his longest of the night. I believe that was with a Socioso Mariner in the corner of the end, and we've seen that one a bunch of times this year. Uh, in regards of rushing, Gerald Bright, 21 carries, 98 yards. He had one touchdown. And in reception, guess who led? You're right, Socioso Mariner. Seven catches, 113 yards, two touchdowns. And again, the longest reception was that 26-yarder. This receiving core, Eric, by the way, I thought Carson Terrell was really good this year. He just didn't get the ball a lot. And and no and no Killebrep who was out. And so then here comes Jackson Owen as a tight end specialist who's who's actually an offensive lineman. And they threw number nine on him and he would go out there and uh, you know, report as eligible. I thought it was kind of interesting. But this receiving core I I thought really did play well on on Friday night. Well, Jordan Nathan was getting used a lot early, and you could tell it was throwing uh, Kent State off because they weren't used to seeing him running fly sweeps and screen passes, and he was getting used a lot. And then eventually they started going more and more to COC Mariner. But, uh, you know, Devin Tompkins used his speed effectively in a number of occasions. Um, but it, the, the everything that went that happened on Friday, I have no problem with what happened offensively. I liked the mix of passing and running. I liked the play calling. I liked that there wasn't like big, uh, crazy trick plays, but they were doing some things that they don't normally do. Yeah. And I thought they quite effectively. What bothered me the most was how, just how difficult it was for Utah State to stop Kent State. Kent State from the Mac. <laughs> Sound familiar? Right? It just, I don't know what our deal is with the Mac, by the way. Because didn't we do lose to Akron in the bowl game like three years ago? Yeah. Utah State doesn't have a great history with the Mac, actually. Kent State averaged 24 points a game. They scored 51. They scored their average in one quarter, Eric. Or excuse me, just above their average in one quarter. Well, Utah State gave up 252 yards rushing on the ground. And that's just, you're not going to win any games when you do that. And that's been a problem the last couple of weeks of the regular season. 
that uh, mobile quarterbacks and stopping the run has been a problem. The only game where they were able to solve that was against Wyoming, who has a really, really good running back. Everybody else, it's been a problem. So Utah State defensively for 2020, they've got they've got some major issues they've got to get figured out if they want to be competitive in the Mountain West. Because there's some good teams that know how to run the ball. There's some good mobile quarterbacks in the league. And I don't know if it's with some of the players they have coming in. Um, obviously, some time in the program helps other players. I don't know if it's transfer portal. You got to go find some guys that can help out immediately. Or if there's changes with coaching staff, whether it's personnel get reassigned and they're still on staff, or you you just you got to find or you find somebody else. But yeah, the way uh, Utah State was giving up the run, which I thought against inferior competition was scares you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it it, it absolutely scares you. The fact that I mean, and with as talented as he, look, even without David Woodward, you still you still shouldn't have that problem. You absolutely still should not have that problem. And the fact that they did really is what I don't know. It just it, that that's what bothered me the most. Um, and just no response defensively either. Like that final drive. I'm hold on. Give me one. I want to look at this. That final drive. There it is of the second quarter by. Or by final Kent drive State. of the second quarter? Yeah, uh, by Kent State. If I'm reading that correct, i got to find it. I have to look because uh, they were, I mean, they went like 70-something yards. Um, yeah, so I think this is the guy where it is. Trying to find uh, it. They went uh, eight plays, 67 yards, and got a field goal. Was so bad because one of them was on a big rush too. One of them was on a really big run play. And they went 70-something. What was it? 76, is that what you said? Uh, 67 yards. Eight okay, plays, yeah, 67 yeah, yards, is. and got a field yeah, goal. here it is. Here it is. So it's it started. Yeah. So Crum goes for seven yards to the Kent State 26. Uh, a pass complete to, ba- let's see, yeah, Joakim for seven. Uh, Crum again for 10. Crum again for 5. Crum again for 30. And then... A that com- got it down to the USU 22. Yep. And then a complete pass to uh, Isaiah McCoy for 3. And then they kicked the field goal from 36 out to, to extend to a 6-point game. Utah State... That was... Had that the clock there, not... The end of the period wasn't there. They probably would have got a touchdown on that drive, the way they were moving the ball. Yep. Uh, by the way, here is Coach Anderson's quotes uh, uh, just about the assessment of the special teams and the defense in itself. Not good. Um, you know, their back was against the wall a lot. Special teams was a debacle. Um, it was, I mean, the, the kickoffs were time and time again just putting the defense in a hard spot and made things extremely difficult. Um, you know, you need... Defensively, and it's, it's, it's all of us again. I'm not pointing fingers at kids or coaches or anybody else. I'm talking to myself right now. You know, uh, a swarming aggressive defense that just gets what you want to be able to get done. You want to look to get a, a turnover every 30 snaps. I mean, that's the goal. Um, you know, you got to have tackles behind the line of scrimmage. You can't just sit there and just, you know, um, 
not change the game in your favor with those big plays. So we didn't play good on defense. I'm, 51 points. I mean, I, I know some of those came from bad field positions and some unbelievable things that took place. And so we need to be in a position to help and be in better field position. But that those scenarios and those situations with the bad kicks and what have you um, didn't put you know 51 points up on the board. So we got our work cut out for us um, in that area. But I know we're gonna have a bunch of kids that are gonna come back and fight. And I just appreciate that. You know, that group of seniors um, was battling on that defense for us. You know, there were some corners that have played a bunch of games out there, a bunch of D linemen that played a bunch of games and fought their tails off. And, um, you know, to have them go out in the last game and have 51 on the board is, is really, really hard for me um, to sit back and see, um, you know, to just, uh, I feel like I let them down um, because they got 51 points in the bowl game on us. And that's, uh, it's not good. It's not a good feel. It's not a good taste. Uh, for a coach that, you know, uh, cares about the kids. I don't want to see that. 1038 text in to ask Eric, and I want your thoughts on this. He says, I watched the USU highlights again. Twenty, It's 25 fourth quarter points by a Kent State team was unacceptable by so-called defensive coach Gary Anderson. Yeah, fundamental tackling was uh, junior high level and has been a problem all year. Unless they discover a QB in Columbia, we'll get to that in a bit, or other a defense and a running game with a mature line, I see Anderson back to his three, four, three to four win seasons. Great fan schedule yet. So Utah, New Mexico, Fresno State, and maybe if Air Force is down as well, as is San Diego State, are only games I see us winning. Hope I'm way wrong. I don't see the same fire in Gary Anderson this time around. Even practices, a bull win might have made me feel different. Thoughts? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I want to first address the last issue. And we discussed this after the game. We got a call um, on KVNU Aggie call uh, about this. We've had multiple discussions over the course of the season about this as well, that there are stretches in games where Gary Anderson does not look like he's engaged in what's going on. Um, I don't know if that's intentional because he's trying to be more of a delegator. He wants his other guys to take responsibility for their what they're doing and then be accountable for what works or what doesn't work. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the head coach. And a team really reflects the character and attitude of a head coach. They, they reflect the tone that's set for them. And I agree, Gary does not have the same fire like he did the first time here. And I... I think that there that does affect a team. How can it not? If the head coach just doesn't look like he's engaged in what's going on, he's not getting you fired up. Granted, that being said, there are a few rare cases in college football where that guys are like that and it still works. Uh, Lavelle Edwards was like that at BYU. But they are rare cases. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Um, hopefully things get changed and, uh, or the right people get around Gary that, that, uh, make things work for him again. Now to some of the other things, um, there was a lot there. <laughs> go, you have to go back through some okay, of those so, things. Here's another thing you want to point out. Um, defensive coach Gary Anderson, yet fundamental tackling was a junior high level 
and has been a problem all year. That's something you've already kind of yeah, alluded to. Yeah, we kind to of talked about because Coach being Anderson is a defensive-minded guy. Yes, that's, and so that's what just that's shocks why you. I am really frustrated with the way the season played out and in in the, the losses that they did have. The Wake Forest game, notwithstanding, but all other losses have been really frustrating. The way that the team has lost, um, and it's usually because of. Bad tackling, poor position by players. They're out of position. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that the defense gave up that didn't help. Offense didn't always help either. Uh, short time on the field, you have to turn it right back around to the defense to be on the field. That was a problem in some of the games. I think that uh, Henry Columbia or Peasley, whomever it is, either one of those two guys, I think can help extend drives because of their feet and how mobile they are. You can keep could keep things going and keep the clock going for the offense. I think that will be helpful. But um, there, there's a lot that was going on there with the defense that that was really frustrating from a guy that was supposed to be a defensive guru who was last time he was here. He had Utah State before he left as one of the top defenses in the country. And there's no, they were nowhere near that in his first year back. Granted. He hasn't had time to get the type of guys that he likes in those positions. There has been time that's that has elapsed since the last time he was here. Um, a lot of those principles were supposedly carried over, but there's been several different defensive coordinators that come through Utah State since the last time Gary was here. So it, there's going to be some change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You will bet you when Kent State scores 51 in a bowl game against you, yeah, expect some changes. Uh, finally, 1038 text us uh, about Henry Columby. Uh, unless they discover a QB in Henry. And by the way, I think they have already. I really, truly believe they're not worried and they're excited for Jordan Love to go and experience the NFL. They're excited for the opportunity for him, but they're also excited about Henry Columby coming into this a chance to be able to step into the shoes and be able to play the role of a starting quarterback. They really, Eric, I feel like, talking to the coaches, really, really like this Henry Columby kid. There was a game earlier in the year when Henry Columby came in, and I think part of it was just, hey, let's just manage the clock and just get out of this game. It didn't look great. And it was clear why Jordan Love was the starter and Henry Columby was not. Then there was another game. I think that might have been the... Air Force game? Yeah, sounds about right. And then it might have been against the, I can't remember if it was BYU or Boise State, one of the other blowout embarrassments. Columbia came in at another stretch after the game had already been decided, and he looked better. Like he, the, the offense wasn't just trying to go through the motions to get out of the game. They were still trying to run plays. And he, I thought he looked pretty good. There was a, definitely a reason why Jordan Love was the starter this year ahead of Henry Columbia. But I think Columbia could be a nice quarterback for USU. Will he go down to the record books as one of the top ever? I don't know. Um, but I think he could be a pretty decent quarterback for USU. I think he's got the mobility. I think he's got a pretty good arm. I don't think he's got a big of an arm as Jordan Love had. But I think... Um, He's the son of a coach. I think he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. So, I don't know. Well, see, I think he'll be okay. Yeah, but and, and with Peasley coming back, by the way, just plan for some fun stuff. This this spring, he's the guy. There's no question. 
and all the all the first team reps are going to be on him. All the eyes are going to be on him. So how does he deal with that? Um, and how does he move forward? How does the team react to him being the guy? And I think it'll be just fine. I think he'll be great. Yeah, I, I, I don't see fine. one worry at all. I'm so excited for him to get that opportunity. I think Peasley is more of a scrambler than Columbia. Uh, he probably needs to learn how to be more patient in the pocket. And for he, his, and for he passing. needs to get down. He's got to learn to get down yeah. and not take a hit. But that'll be fun to watch those two guys develop. And yeah. the other guys coming up, like Cooper Lega, will get chances. He's and, coming along nicely, talking to a couple of coaches. Mm-hmm. He's he's coming along nicely. He's learning some things. It all kind of came on quick at him this year, but they're bringing him in slowly. Uh, that, that coaching staff is really excited about the QB group coming in to compete for the starting spot this spring. They are absolutely stoked about it. Yeah, I, think I, I can't good. wait. I'm not that position, I'm not really worried about. Thanks, 1038, for your text message and your questions. If you want to text in, do so at 435-339-0321. That's 435-339-0321. Utah State football 2019 season in the books. Uh, Probably tomorrow we'll talk about what we expect, what we thought about the overall season, what we maybe hope for in 2020 season, which starts against uh, the Washington uh, State uh, Wildcats, which should be fun. Washington State Wildcats? Is it Wildcats? Oh, it's Cougars. Is that a lower division school? Shut up, it's Cougars. I hate you. I hate you so badly. You're a jerk. (laughs) 435-339-0321. Coming up next, Utah State football had kind of a down weekend. Utah State basketball, how did it turn out for them? Good game against the Florida um, Mudcats. That's the Mud And the Swamp Dogs. Do you want to keep doing this? (laughs) With a, a good game against the South Florida Chickens. Oh, you just. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France. And RJ Salvis at 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, the Fan Full Court Press here on a Christmas Eve Eve. It's a shortened show. We end early on Friday, or it's me Monday, because uh, Jazz Heat tonight. We'll talk about the Utah Jazz coming up. They're underdogs tonight, and it's probably a good reason why. And we have a bunch of complaints to actually give to Utah Jazz for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a lot of con- uh, no complaints, though, with the Utah State basketball team so far. They get two big saucy road wins, one in Houston, the Toyota Center, against the uh, South Florida Bulls, and then in overtime, by the way, and then go across the country on a Saturday afternoon and beat the Florida Gators in the Orange Bowl Classic. Uh, what a win for the Utah State. This Utah State men's basketball team, look, I said if they went 1-1, one one, it's a win. Eric, they go 2-0. and oh. Yeah, big week for Utah State basketball. They move up in the net rankings. They're in the top 50 now. Um, They're getting votes in both polls. They're still not in the top 25. They are gaining ground. They are moving up. Um, They're the 31st in the coaches poll, uh, 32nd in the AP poll. When you look at others receiving votes and if you're still to add it up anyway. Um, But those were two big wins. And for the third straight game, Utah State wins it by four points or less, 
or is in a game that's decided by four points or less. Excuse me. They lost to BYU by four, but then they beat South Florida by just a couple. They beat Florida by three. So they've been in some really close games here lately, and they're finding ways to win, even in difficult circumstances, away from the friendly confines of the spectrum, with guys getting fouled out of games, with guys getting injured and being out, key components of the team out, and they're still finding ways to win. Ajay, it really tells you the, the gritty nature of this team right now. They're not blowing teams away right now like they were earlier in the year, but these are much better, more competitive teams. And interestingly enough, I was going back through the schedule looking at this. So these have been some close games here recently, right? There one other game that was decided by four points or less, and that was the game against LSU in Jamaica. So all of their close games have been on neutral neutral sites. And Utah State's three and one hmm. in those wow. games. The BYU game, the only loss. Final score from the Toyota Center in overtime: Utah State seventy six seventy four. Uh, in the Battle uh, 2K19 Classic. Uh, Utah State led at half 31-29. And then Sam Merrill really, I mean, him and Namiyash Keta both kind of came alive in the second half, but then both fouled out. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, well, we just lost our big men. We just lost our best player. And you're almost kind of writing, the writing on the wall says, well, Utah State's going to lose this game. Two years ago, they lose this game by 12. Probably. I mean, Sam had been plagued with, in, with not injuries, with fouls most of the game. He only played 28 minutes, which is really, really rare to see Sam Merrill in foul trouble. Yeah. So that kind of gives you an indication of the type of officiating crew that may have been there for that game. But he eventually fouls out in overtime with actually quite a bit of time left in overtime. Both Merrill and Keta fouled out pretty close to each other. And on a team that's been going to a very short bench, very tight rotation, uh, Man, I was worried about that. You're, like, you're going to lose to South Florida? You can't lose to South Florida. But Diogo Brito Boy, Diogo played well. Great. Justin Bean and Abel Porter especially were just fantastic. How about that tip into the buzzard? I mean, the ball... Okay, I mean, you want to talk about living the right way, all right? Saying your prayers and eating your Wheaties or whatever. <laughs> I mean, Justin Bean is just... The the Porter's free rims in and out. The ball's tipped around, and Justin Bean just happens to kind of wander over to the right side above the block. Ball finds him some way, somehow. It finds him, and he's able to put it up and in at the buzzer to win it. Uh, it's just it's it's kind of like they're finding ways to win basketball games that three, four, five years ago, Eric, they weren't going to win because the ball wasn't going to bounce their way. The call wasn't going to go their way. And now it all of a sudden has just kind of flipped itself on its head. And and now they're getting every chance in the book to win a basketball game. This is incredible. Yeah, and I, I thought as impressive and, and as fun as that was, I thought the game against Florida was even more impressive. Uh, Nimi gets hurt in the first half. Um, and here you go again. Short bench, tight rotation. How's it going to play out? Somebody's going to get minutes that you're not used to seeing. And... And they just kept it tough. They kept battling, kept chopping wood, as Coach Smith likes to say. And uh, they were always able to just kind of keep that that space between, uh, keep uh, Florida a little bit of arm's length. It was always close, but uh, they were able to do enough to, to stay one step ahead of them. 435-339-0321. 435-339-0321. You can text into the show. Uh, your name will be anonymous. We won't have it, so it will be an anonymous message. But give us your thoughts on this Utah State basketball team. Two wins, both on the road, in tough environments. 
uh, across the country, respectively, and they go 2-0. and Now they get ready for Eastern Oregon at home on Saturday at 7 o'clock. They go to UNLV on New Year's Day, and then they come back for a, what it should be a saucy, very sexy showdown versus San Diego State, who most likely will be undefeated 13-0 and coming into the spectrum on January 4th at 8 p.m. at night. Final from Florida at the BB&T Center in the Orange Bowl Classic. Utah State wins at 65-62. Uh, yeah, and Aj, if I look at these stats, uh-huh. and Demish Keda only plays 10 minutes, and he has no points, um, two rebounds. Yeah, uh, you're uh, listening uh, to this blindly without knowing the result. Yeah, yeah, you look at Alfonso Anderson, who only had four points. Uh, Trevin Dorius had... Got in the game and uh, for about eleven minutes, he has three points. Those are your big guys, and then you look over at Florida and Kerry Blackshear, the uh, transfer from Virginia Tech, twenty-two points, fourteen boards. I'm thinking, man, they're getting they're going to get killed. How did Utah State win that game? Yeah, yeah. You, then you're you're saying they lose by fifteen. And uh, by the way, we do not know. Uh, the status on Keta. We will not know until Friday when there's a presser up. Uh, it looks like he bumped knees with another player, but also looks like he bent it just a, a slight bit. Um, he was limping the rest of the way. He was on his feet at times, but he was limping every single you know, time he took a step with it. So again, we don't know the status. And we won't know till Friday. And even at that point when we ask Coach, he might give us some generic answer that he's been giving us. Uh, it's day-to-day. You know, it is what it is. He's, he says he's ready to be back. He's 25 pounds strong. It's the same stuff we've been getting. Not that, not not bashing on him. I'm just saying don't expect a clear answer on Keta no. until you see him come on the court whenever that is. Well, and there's also a question about how soon will we see Kuba uh, back yep. in yep. an Aggie uniform on the court. That's Because uh, uh, having him back would be a, a huge addition right now as well. But w- with that being said, with the Utah State big men... One because of injury, others just not really very effective in the game. The way everybody else stepped up, and we've been knocking on Brock Miller a bit for his being highly inconsistent. He didn't have a great stat line, but he had those two critical three-point shots in the second half that really helped Utah State. And uh, I'm still going to stand by what I've said earlier about him. I'd, I'd love to see him be more consistent. And if he can even be anywhere from 8 to 12 points a game, it'd be a huge addition. But he'll go some games where he's only going to score 5 or 6 points and just not and, and miss a lot of shots from beyond the arc. So, But the, what he did do in the second half was really, really big for Utah State, I felt. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I got to tell you, I was impressed uh, with a couple of things. One, the defense. Yagi's... Uh, held Florida to 32% shooting from the field, 23% from deep, and it's the eighth time this year that USU has held its opponent 240% uh, in the, from the field, and the eighth time that it's held its opponent to under 30% shooting from deep. They also, the bench was really good. The, the bench outscored Florida's bench 18-6, to and in fact, they've done that in 12, to, uh, 12 of its last 14, uh, 12 of its 14 games this season, and it's 11-1 and in those games. That, and the part that didn't surprise me the most, for some reason it surprised other people, but Florida won the battle of the boards 41-33. to and, it, and, I mean, Aggies have been out, out-rebounded five times this year and are 2-3 and three in those games, but it didn't surprise me they got out-rebounded in this one. Well, I mean, Keta out, 
Anderson and Dorius struggled a little bit with their roles. Um, but you're right. Utah State usually has the rebounding advantage in the games that they're in. Uh, but I want to get back to what you were talking about earlier in there, that the, the Utah State defense has really dialed up and been a lot better. Um, they're really holding opponents below what they're averaging. They make it really, really difficult for what they want to do. Uh, that Utah State defense isn't getting as much tension as it deserves. I thought that they were that defense really dialed in and made life difficult for BYU. I thought they were making life really difficult for South Florida with the overtime. They get they score more points than they would normally uh, be in a regulation. But uh, I thought that uh, what Utah State defensively has been doing lately has been really impressive. How much credit? Because being played. 37 minutes versus USF in an overtime game and then had to hold the fort down against Florida. How incredible is this kid? Oh, Justin Bean's phenomenal. Uh, just a nose for the ball, scrappy, um, just high motor. He's always going, doesn't take plays off and uh, just always has a great attitude that lifts the rest of his team. So, man, what where would this team be right now without Justin Bean? And by the way, his grandpa just passed away two nights ago before that, and uh, he had put that on Twitter that his grandpa had passed on. Then he goes out there and has a heck of a ball game. That's, man, that's a way to do it. Nine boards, four assists, (laughs) two steals, (laughs) 12 points. Mountain West Player of the Year candidate. Well, speaking of Mountain West accolades, Sam Merrill Ah, did receive Mountain West Player of the Week this week. Uh, he was also recognized by College Sports Madness, whoever they really are. But uh, finally, a good recognition to Sam for what he's been able to do. And it's not just because of the game that he had against Florida, but he was also recognized as the MVP of the Orange Bowl Basketball Classic. Uh, he was um, fantastic against uh, South Florida as well. So, um, yeah, big, nice uh, recognition and nice honor for Sam Merrill. We got to go to break. Coming back, we'll get you some more Aggie talk. That's all coming up on the Full Court Press. Eric France and Aljay Salvas at 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. You can stream us on 106.9 thefan.com. You can also find us on our podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Tap in the Full Court Press, the Full Court Press, Eric's name, my name, or, uh, and you'll be able to find all the audio from our past and previous shows. Uh, Eric, as we uh, put a bow on this topic of Utah State basketball, and they get ready for Eastern Oregon for uh, a game that's meaningless. Does Sam Merrill play? Does he sit again? That game is Saturday at, Saturday at 2 o'clock. Oh, it's 2 o'clock? That's what ESPN is showing on okay, the schedule. Okay, well then I'll, I'll believe. That's great. Oh, yes. Um, I don't think Sam plays. And he shouldn't. And I don't think With he should. With all due respect to you, Sam. Yeah. He should not be playing. Because after that, on January 1st, it's a game in Las Vegas against UNLV. And then you return home on the 4th to take on San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Which, to this point, the biggest game of the year is January 4th. Utah State does, has not played a team 
has not played a game with as much importance as what they'll have on January 4th. Yeah. Yeah, because San Jose will be undefeated coming to our house unless something dramatic really does happen, which I don't see it doing so. Uh, speaking of dramatic and players not playing, New Mexico has a little bit of an issue of themselves, Eric. Yeah, New Mexico starters, uh, forward Carlton Bragg and point guard J.J. Caldwell have been suspended indefinitely. This was announced by the school on Sunday, right after their game against Houston Baptist. They beat them in New Mexico, 107-88. to um, Actually, this was uh, just before the game, excuse me, and uh, it was announced that they would not participate in the game and says they're being withheld from competition and team activity until further notice. Uh, the athletic department has received information that requires further review. In the meantime, there will be no additional comments from anyone at UNM until that process is complete. And Bragg, that's a big blow. Yeah, that's huge. That's the last thing you need right now. He's a team captain. He transferred from Kansas last year, last January, averaging 13.5 points, 10.8 rebounds, 1.4 blocks. Uh, he's bounced around. He originally transferred to Arizona State, then left for New Mexico without playing a game for the Sun Devils. Uh, but Caldwell leads the Mountain West in assists per game. So those are two major blows for uh, the New Mexico Lobos. Yeah, it is. And, and the fact that, I mean, look, they struggled with Houston Baptist just the other night. In fact, they were down by five and a half, and they were leaving the court at halftime to booze. To booze at the pit, man. When's the last time you heard that? Well, their two big guys, main guys, didn't play. Eventually, he came back and won 107-88. to 88. But, yeah, it's not pretty. It's not a good look for New Mexico. How good? Which is too bad because the Mountain West needs good teams yes, right they now. Do. Absolutely. And New Mexico is hurting themselves. Could not agree more. Could not absolutely agree more. Uh, this, I mean, the top tier of the Mountain West looks loaded. From there on out, it's just a crapshoot between everybody else. Yeah. The bottom half of the league is really disappointing. Nevada's in that bottom half right now, aren't they? Mm, they're in the middle of the pack. Oh, it just seems like they'd be in the bottom half right now. All right, coming back on the second hour, we'll talk Utah Jazz basketball. Take it ready for the Miami Heat. It's all coming up here How on the Full Court Press. How do we do with our pick six? We'll talk about that too, actually.